and welcome to another DBSA podcast filled with all of the interviews from RWA. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and in this particular episode, I have three interviews. First is with Michelle Beetlespaugh, Serena McLemore, and Amy Pierpont from Grand Central Forever. They are all editors, and they talk about pitch appointments, pitch horror stories, and being on the receiving end of a writer's opportunity for publication. After that, I have an interview with Donna Allward, who is a finalist for the Rita this year, and an interview with Taylor Reynolds, who is an aspiring author, frequent commenter, and came ready with interview questions for me, so I was not off the hook on this one. The music you're hearing, as always, was provided by Sassy Outwater. I'll have information at the end of the podcast about who this is and where you can purchase their music if you like it. And this is the second of three podcasts that I did at RWA. The third one is an in-depth interview with Stephanie Doyle and Molly O'Keefe. And in that interview, we talk a lot about sex in romance novels. And I'm going to edit and post that podcast separately. And now, on with the podcast. Hi, I'm Michelle Beidelsbaum, an editor at Grand Central. And what is what do I do at RWA? Well... Um, I love coming. I love being able to see my authors, spend time with them, sort of, we talk over email all the time. It's nice to actually be able to talk face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I love seeing them at the book signing, um, being able to see them with their fans. Um, we do a spotlight, um, a publisher spotlight. I just did a panel, an editor panel. They're all great. They're all great. <laughs> yeah. They're so you're really busy at RWA. It's one thing after yeah. another. Yeah. I, was, I was interviewing yesterday some publicists from uh, Sourcebooks, and they were telling me how they find it so valuable to meet people that they correspond with over email mm-hmm. because it makes mm-hmm. future email a little bit easier because you've Absolutely. met the person yes. and you have a, a, like a, a person, a person's voice instead of this anonymous name in an inbox mm-hmm. that you don't know. Is that true, do you think, outside of the romance genre, that the personal connection is important, or do you think that's something unique to romance? No, I think authors in general. Absolutely. You need to have that communication. We're all people, right? And sometimes I think editors can seem like scary people to Mm -hmm. authors. You're freaking terrifying. I try 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 my best. (laughs) No, but I think, you know... That's Amy Pierpont, by the way. Yeah, sorry. Amy Pierpont, editorial director of Forever. I mean, I feel like when I... When I come to RWA, I want to meet the authors. I want to put a face to a name if I've never met them before. I want to welcome them to the fold. I want to hear about their kids and their vacations and what they're reading. I think it's a time to just connect person to person. And it does make communication easier, I think, uh, across all genres. It's just, if you're in any business, you know, once you get to know that person, it makes things go a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And it's just sometimes we're all very busy. Writers are on a deadline, you know. They're racing to just send that manuscript in. We're racing to edit it, get it back. We love it. Here's how to fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the daily, day-to-day business, it is business, and you don't have time for that personal interaction, and that's sad. Mm-hmm. So RWA is a time to like kind of celebrate that we're all we're all in the trenches together. We all yep. love to read. We all love books. Mm-hmm. And we're all doing this together. I was just interviewing an author named Donna Allward who was saying that one of the things she loves about being here is that Everyone is here in some way to help make a good book happen. Absolutely. Whether you're not going to edit it or publicize it or I'm going to read it and someone else is going to write it. Everyone wants to have a good book, either in mm-hmm. in their job or for their creation. Everyone wants a good book. We all kind of have the same goal. Absolutely. No one, no one is here to really diminish anyone else, not publicly anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? 
Um, I'm Selena McLemore. I'm a senior editor at Grand Central. Hello. Hello. I'm waving to the computer right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you. I'm, I'm doing video. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my queen, queen mom. Your yes. royal wave. <laughs> my royal wave. Um, you know, I like RWA. I like nationals, and I come here for the reasons that Amy and Michelle are saying. It's a great chance to get to meet your authors, mm-hmm. all of the authors. I also like it because it is my opportunity to say all the things I think at my desk but I don't really have a time or place to say. When we get to the spotlight, I can tell people exactly, this is really what I want. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be formal and stuffy and and anything that would go out, you know, when you're writing an email or something like that. It's a different tone. It's a different tone, and it's also, there's just not occasion to do it. I mean, I get in all these submissions, right, and you read them and review them, and, and if there's books that you like but you can't quite acquire for one reason or another... There, are, there isn't enough hours in the day to write to every author and, and explain to them in great detail right. why this isn't working for my list. You know, you try to give as much feedback as you can about what's good about it, what's working, where you can improve. Mm-hmm. When you get to RWA, you have the chance to do that. You can do that in the spotlight when we talk about what we're looking for and things that are working and things that aren't working, trends, all of that fun stuff. Right. You also do it in the bar. You do it in the lobby. Mm-hmm. You yes. do it whenever you're talking to anyone. I mean, I don't get the chance to meet that many unpublished authors. I like it. I don't have time for it day to day. But here, they're all here at once. Yes. And that's that's good. That's that kind of closeness that you you want to have because that's how you're going to get the authors of tomorrow in. Yes. So that's the, it's a really unique opportunity at RWA to be able to do that. So it is good for you to meet unpublished authors because sure. a lot of the time you hear, like I hear cautionary tales and horror stories about being pitched in the bathroom. Somebody yes. just we were me. just talking about it. It is real. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. just explaining that. Yeah. It is somebody it is totally was, was I, was, I heard a story about being pitched in the pool. Oh. Yeah, that was exactly my reaction too. Like, <gasps> I would really? gasp, but I actually wanted to move all of my meetings to the pool, like the floaty thing yes. where you have like the cozy, mm-hmm. margarita, you, your, you know, maybe a plastic palm tree. I think that pitch appointments for editors would be a lot more fun if it was poolside with margaritas. Yes, it would certainly be more relaxing for the. I think how many books we'd buy. <laughs> I like everything right now. Right. Right. <laughs> You wrote a book about gnomes. Awesome. They are sexy. Contemporary <laughs> gnomes are like the hot thing. How did you know? So what are you looking I'm for? I'm sorry. I just want to put on record that none of the editors said, said contemporary, contemporary gnomes. Most of the people at this point, right point know my voice. <laughs> I'm the one looking for contemporary gnomes. <laughs> and it's hard because people always ask that. When yes, what are you looking for? What are you, what you looking you for? Do you like this? And if I say one specific item, oh, I really like... Selena likes gnomes. <laughs> you know, I do, but not in this. Garden gnomes are yeah. wicked. Anyway, now that's quite a tangent. So do, do you each have your own pitching horror stories? Have you had like a completely inappropriate moment? I had the bathroom pitch, which... No. There's the bathroom pitch in the line, right? You're all standing in line, and you've forgotten to hide your badge. <laughs> Please don't. No, I had a woman who literally kept talking to me. This is actually not an RWA conference. It was at an MWA, so Mystery Writers, Mystery Writers of America. Conference. Bad Sarah. And kept talking with me as I went into the stall, and I kept saying, I'll meet you. You can come, because she couldn't get an appointment with me. So I said, come meet me at the pool. I will, I'm done at 2 o'clock. Come meet me. I'll listen. We'll talk then. We'll talk. I want to hear. Every polite way I knew to sort of say, please don't talk to me while I'm trying to pee. Then she had... She kept talking. I had to finally ask her to please pause because I needed to flush. (laughs) Um, And I was enraged. Like, I honestly was That's really intrusive. And when she did finally pitch me, I don't know what she was talking about because all I could think of is, did did someone forget to teach you manners? Like, that is not 
it's not and nice and it's not polite. So I'm silly. uncomfortable. Yeah. I have to go. I have 12 seconds between all of my meetings. To this is my time. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is private. <laughs> Maybe and, only like, not, 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 yeah. now. It's you, need, like, you need like an editor's only bathroom. The Ew. pitch free, but the fridge, the pitch free location. You guys can have the one that that's the men's room converted into the women's yeah. room. Like, cover all the yes. loos within the urinals with like yes. flowers and the tablecloths. Like it's a very odd buffet. I love oh, when they do that at RWA. It's my favorite part of going to the bathroom. Where's the men's room that's now ours? Right. I want to see it. My worst, not worst. It was the most. It was certainly memorable. My very first RWA, the first one I ever went to. I was doing group pitches. Right. This was the first and last time I have done group pitches. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm a young editor. I'm just learning. So um, the way we ran it, I had everyone. I gave everyone the chance to say their their elevator pitch. Right. We just went around, and I told them all, okay, I just want to hear it, and then if I have questions, I'll come back to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the maybe it was the second woman to pitch. She gave me her elevator pitch, and we, we talked a little bit. And ultimately, I said, you know, I just I'm not hearing conflict in your story. I don't I don't really think that there's enough conflict that I'm looking for because that's key. She said, no, no, there is. I'm just not telling you right. I'm just not telling you right. I'm like, okay, well, let me finish going around the group because everyone needs their time and I'll come back to you. Of course. She says, okay. And I moved to the next one. And then I hear, I hear sniffling. <laughs> and I keep going and it's getting louder and louder. And by the time I get to the end, this woman's like full on crying. So I feel terrible. Oh my, oh my God, I made someone cry. <laughs> so now I want to cry because I feel awful, but I can't do that because I'm pretty sure that's not professional. Like I haven't been to a lot of conferences, but I thought I was on the border. You know, and, and we ended up, I didn't really have enough time to go back to her. So she takes off. Oh my gosh, I go, I take off, I go to the ladies room. I hear full on sobbing. Oh, I hear sobbing. No. And I, I didn't know I'm what to do. For you. Yeah. I'm like, do I, do I, go and try to comfort her. I mean, right. like it's ladies are always an awkward situation. <laughs> um, and I think I did, I just, I left because I didn't know how to handle it. I just was too great and I didn't know how to do it. And I remember going back to the office and talking to my boss. Yeah. Like, I made someone cry. I felt terrible. And I tell her the whole scenario of how it happened. And she looks at me and she's like, some people are just criers. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I guess it really had nothing to do with me, even though in my head, <laughs> right. yeah, I was the most important person in that room. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, it was just this woman was nervous and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but that was, well, was the last group pitch session I ever did. <laughs> I didn't want to experience it again. You want your humiliation to be a little less Yeah, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, everyone in this room was like, oh, she made someone cry. <laughs> I mean, I'm that could work in your favor, though. <laughs> She's scary. Mm-hmm. Back away. Much. She's ferocious. Scary. She'll shred your soul. <laughs> Serve it with ketchup. <laughs> and maybe mustard. Yes. Mm-hmm. A little relish. Do you have a horror yeah. story? Pitch you know, I did pitch appointments at a conference, I think in New Jersey, just one-on-one. And, you know, she was reading off of her note card. She was so nervous. And I understand that. I'd be terrified. Um, and I could see the shaking in the hands. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. And I could see her lips starting to quiver a little bit. And I hadn't even asked any questions at this point. And she did. She started to cry. And I just thought, I mean, I am not a scary person. Yeah. Like, I I know you can't see me, computer. <laughs> I am not a scary person. I felt terrible. You feel really yeah. awful. And I, I didn't, yeah. You don't know how to handle it because you never want to make someone feel bad. Mm-hmm. Never. Because oh. it is exactly I, what you said. And it's not she about them. Takes, it's about the book. But, and it takes so much courage to get right. up there and do it. Absolutely. You know, I don't have that kind of guts. Like, you're putting yourself out. So you never, you never want to make someone feel bad. And I've held people's hands just to say, like, I'm just a person. Like, yeah. here, like, yes. look, it's yeah. okay. Because they're like, yeah, 
I had a woman who was shaking so bad that she actually fell off her <gasps> chair. She caught herself, but she like she vibrated herself to the edge and boom. <laughs> right. And <laughs> that was the woman actually that was a million years ago and I think Dallas, we were in this weird situation. I think it was like the loading dock area and all the <laughs> all the pictures were in this area. So it was this big loft like space and there were birds. So this Spiffy. poor woman is trying to remember, she's got her card, she's trying to remember her spiel, and she keeps getting distracted because the bird keeps swooping down. And finally, as you know, it poops on you, I have to buy your book. And she's like, <laughs> 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 but it was just like, it's sometimes just like, levity, you know? Yeah. It's a horrible, you know, I, you know, public speaking, not my not my favorite thing, I couldn't imagine being on the other side of that, so I just want, you know, like if it's yeah. holding a hand, it's yeah. like, do you need a just queen breathe, Just breathe, so just breathe, like, okay. Right, exactly. Let's, let's just talk about what you read. Don't talk about yeah. Yeah. the last book you, you know. And if there are any writers out there that are pitching or about to pitch or will pitch next year or 15 years from now, it's not your only shot. Please remember yeah. that. Right. Yes, this is not your one a chance. good yes. book will rise to the yeah. top, believe me. Oh, yeah. So don't be scared of us. The one thing I personally have never understood about pitch appointments is it seems almost counterintuitive. They feel like they have to impress you personally, but they're trying to talk about their book. And sometimes authors can't represent their own books succinctly. They have to include all of the backstory and all of the reasons why this is happening. And it's, it's even if I'm writing a, a blog entry of like 2,000 words, I can't always distill that into one sentence. I'm as long-winded as anybody. That's why I write on the internet. <laughs> But it's really hard to represent what you do very succinctly. Mm -hmm. It seems like pitch appointments are almost counterintuitive because you're presenting yourself and you're terrified that mm -hmm. you're not going to make a good impression. And that makes it harder to understand what your book is about. See, here's what I think. Here's how I think it works, right? If Please you enlighten me because I'm so confused by this, this process. <laughs> this has been, this is my theory and this is the best pitch appointments I've had have worked like this, mm -hmm. right? So if you can really... Before you get to the convention or your appointment, whatever it's going to be, if you really think about your book, right, right, and force yourself to distill it down to two succinct sentences, just your hook. It's the mm -hmm. hook of your story you're mm -hmm. talking about. Yes, you're going to know about your characters and their conflict and the plot points, and I'll ask you about all those things once you get me with the hook. But when you force yourself to come up with those lines, what you're doing is really studying your own work. So now you know your story better than you might have before, mm -hmm. right? Because you had to boil it down. Mm -hmm. So then when you speak to me, you seem like you have a handle on what you're writing. You seem like you have a little knowledge about the market because you know how to tell me what your hook is. Mm -hmm. You seem composed because you know what it is here. You're not worried about time and can you're I get prepared. in every detail. You seem like a professional writer. And that helps. And that helps. Oh, yes. Because I'm like, great, now I'm talking to a professional writer. We can yes. have all those questions. And when that happens... I noticed that we get all of those basics. You know, I can decide in the first three or four minutes, okay, I like the hook. When I ask about conflict, she can tell me what it is. When I ask about character traits, she can tell me what that is. And then we can just chit-chat. Mm -hmm. So the stressful part, done. Mm -hmm. You can relax. I can get to know you a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I feel like when, even though it's hard for a writer to do that, when you can do it, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. You're never going to tell, really, the editor about your voice. We're not going to know that you can't, or your chops until I read those pages. It's really hard to demonstrate right. verbally what your yeah. voice is in writing. So you can't try to do that. Like I, I see like a lot of authors who try to work in all the fun jokes that they're putting in their contemporaries to show me they're funny. It's not really the place. Mm -hmm. It's not really the place. Your hook might capture that a little bit. That's the stuff I'm never going to know until I get the pages. So mm -hmm. your only goal really is just to boil it down, give me the hook, so I ask for those pages. And we also have to acknowledge that there's a difference between a good pitch and a good Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, we've all had that. We get back to the office and, you know, I can't wait until that comes in because that was a great, great pitch. pitch. Yep. Sounds great. 
she's got her social media yep. platform going. And you're like, oh, I wish I liked the book more. Yeah. Or conversely, someone who you thought, you know, yeah. it sounds maybe not my cup of tea, but maybe, you know, there's somebody back at the office that would really, who, they would really love this book. So I'm going to, you know, and you're like, wow, that's great. That's a great story. And I would never have known that. I mean, it's hard. And also, like, the, the dirty truth is, you know, ask any editor or agent who has been at a conference taking pitch appointments for eight hours in ten-minute increments. Do they remember anything? Do they yeah. remember? No, by three o'clock, you're like, whatever. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> I hear gnomes are hot. I like gnomes. So help me. If I get gnome submissions now, <laughs> just send them to me. It's fine. I will say this. Awesome. I, I almost always just ask for pages automatically from mm-hmm. the pitch. I, I, there's a rare occasion when I actually say, no, I don't want to read that, but I will tell you an example of one where I did, where I sat down for the pitch appointment and the author looks at me and she says, well, I write YA. And I'm like, well, that's great, but I don't publish YA. And she says, I know, but everyone else was full, so this was the only appointment I could get. Uh-huh. And like, great, so you're wasting your time, you're wasting my time, and you're wasting the opportunity for the other people that actually write what I publish. Cringe. And she's like, do you know anyone you could send this to? And I just said no, because no, that's not, that that's she not could what be she that did. inconsiderate really bothered me. And that's not my job. No, you that's know? not your job at all. Next up is my interview with Rita finalist author Donna Allward, who writes for Harlequin and Sam Hain. Introduce yourself to all the nice people at home. <laughs> uh, I'm Donna Allward. I'm from Halifax in Nova Scotia, Canada, and I'm a Rita finalist this Yay! year. I know, it's very exciting. It's my first one. Was the dress selection a big challenge? Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. not a shopper. so And I went without... Anybody. I went alone. Oh, that's terrifying. I, well, it kind of was. And then I came home with the dress. And I have a 14-year-old daughter. So I, I put it on and it was approved. So you're fine. It was, yeah, it was. Uh, she said, Mom, I'm so proud you did it all by yourself. <laughs> so anyway, I like it. And, and it's and it's comfortable. So I don't feel like if I sit down, I'm going to pop out of anything, which is, you know, kind of crucial. That's awesome. This is your first read of finalists. Yep. And... This is this your first RWA? So you've no. been to RWA before. Yeah. This is my third. Third RWA. Yeah. Why, aside from filing in the readers and getting to wear awesome dresses, why do you come to RWA? Because um, I get to see my peeps. Yeah. Because I don't see my peeps during the rest of the year. And once you've done it once, because I, I was published before I first came to a conference. Mm-hmm. And I came actually, I went in 09 looking mm-hmm. for an agent. And... Uh, once I met everybody and I came and I did the conference thing, it's like crack. You just want to do it every year. So, yeah. It is very comforting to, to talk to people who, who, get under, it. who get it, who understand. Yeah. And plus it's really great because you get to see people in the industry that you don't normally see. Like last night at the lit signing, I met so many book bloggers that I'd only, you know, talk, talk to online and, you know, people who from, you? who did I see? And who were you excited to meet? Um, I met Holly from Book Binge and Tracy from Tracy's Place and Pat from Fresh Fiction. That's and so cool. I'm going to forget people, I know, but I bet you there were a dozen that stopped by that were, and Chris Alice Holes was there and she's always here from Germany and mm-hmm. so she stopped by and then people that I've known from E. Harlequin because I've been on the boards there forever mm-hmm. and uh, that I'd never met in person and they stopped by and said hi and so that was really, really nice. Did you have a good time at the signing? I did. That's excellent. I did. It's always nice to do the signing with a little flag. I was going to say, I had to read a flag. Did you take your flag? Absolutely. You can put that on the hood of your car, <laughs> drive around, <laughs> and you'll be like, ooh, it's a dignitary. Yeah, that's it. That's it. No, I did. I absolutely grabbed it. 
That's but, awesome. Yeah. Are you? Are, are there any authors that you have been really excited to meet at RWA in this one or that one? Are there any authors that make you go, oh, I'm so excited to meet you? Um, actually, Deanna Rayborn was at my table last night, and like, she's the most beautiful woman ever. Doesn't it make you want to kill something? I know, it really does. And then she's like, I have a daughter in college. And I'm like, really? That, yeah, it really <laughs> is. But she's so sweet, and I was so excited to meet her. So in our table, we had Jennifer Haymore at the table, so we had such a great time. So I was, And I got my picture with, with um, Deanna with our Rita flags. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that'll never happen again. So... so. You so, never know. Uh, I don't know. So, yeah, it was really, that was really fun last night. So, the book that you were nominated for the Rita yep. is a little different than what you have coming out this summer or at the end of August with, yeah, with yeah. Sam Hain. Yeah. So, tell me about the book that you were nominated for, and then I want to ask you about the book that's coming out at the end of August. Okay. Um, the book I was nominated for is, I do a lot of westerns for Harlequin Romance, so, um, and I set them all in Canada, so it, it makes them a little bit different. And this was my breast cancer survivor book, which was a little bit of a risk, but my editor said, no, go for it. You know, they've been really great that way. Um, And so it's a young woman who's been through treatment and is now kind of adjusting to life after treatment. And uh, her childhood friend, who she had a crush on as a teen and then sort of gave up on it. And he had a really hard time when she was diagnosed. And so they kind of come together and figure things out. Nice. Yeah. And what about the book that's coming out at the end of August? That's um, uh, in, in the line of duty. Yeah, I, it's kind of fun, actually. Um, I don't get to write books set in the area where I live very often because there's not many cowboys in Nova Scotia. I was going to say, I yeah. was not aware that there were cowboys in Nova no, Scotia. No, there's but not. You learn something about Canada every day. So well, you know, are. I lived right in Alberta around. for 12 years. There's so cowboys there. Yeah. There's cowboys so, everywhere in Alberta. Yeah. So, but I wanted to do something a little different, and they're short, and I had a lot of fun starting to write short. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, uh, of a first responders series so there's a paramedic in the first book and then the second one is a cop and then i've got another one in november that's a firefighter and uh, they were a lot of fun i set them in the annapolis valley which is on the fundy coast of nova Mm -hmm. scotia it's a really pretty area and there's wineries and lots of farms and in my uh, in-flight magazine on united there was a whole two-page article two-page advertising article about fundy I'm like, what the hell's Fundy? And I'm looking like, I want to go I there. I went ziplining on the New Brunswick side of Fundy two weeks ago. It's the first time ever, and I'm terrified of heights. It was I fabulous. I myself. I was crying on the platform, <laughs> <laughs> but I had to go anyway. So I thought, if I overthink this, I'm just not going to do it. So I stepped off, and zzz, away I went. And it was, it was fantastic. I would do it again, but I was so scared that first time. But it's, it is a beautiful area, so I got to do you know something short, something fun. It's a little sexier than what I normally write for romance, but... Not, it's certainly not hot, hot, hot. Um, but I don't close the door. And, and this just, is Sam Hay. Yeah. And it's it was just really fun. fun. Yeah, it was just really fun doing those. So it's kind of, it's fun. So that one comes out at the end of August. And then yeah. when does the next one come out? November 13th. So you have June, August, November. I You're had, busy. I had uh, two in May, one in June, one in August. And I have two in November. I have a Harlequin release in November as well. Holy which, smoke. Which is uh, uh, part of a, a trilogy I did with two other authors who are awesome, with Fiona Harper and Shirley Jump. And we did a Holiday oh. Miracles trilogy for the romance line. So my book's in the middle. It's in November. That's excellent. Yeah, and Shirley finishes it up in, in uh, December. And Fiona's is in October. We had so much fun writing that. It my peaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fiona's my roommate, so... Oh, you're, you're, so you're rooming with somebody you wrote with. Yeah, That's yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Actually, I wrote with somebody I room with because we were friends first, and then we... It was author-driven. We did, picked each other and came up with a... 
concept and pitched it, and they said, yes, do it. So you've written for Harley Quinn, you've written for Sam Hain. Mm-hmm. Are there any other publishers that you've worked with, or those are the two no, main ones? No, those are the two main those ones. Two. They keep me pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, six books, seven, eight, a bunch of books. Yeah, I'm you're not sure I'm going to do that again. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of exhausting. Yeah. So have you noticed a difference in the way that you promote a book, even from May until now? Has, have, have things changed in the way you promote, the way you release a book? Um, uh, yes. I'm still trying to figure it out. Really, I, I know. I know Twitter's made a huge difference, especially with contacting book bloggers and stuff. And Harlequin's put a couple of mine up on NetGalley, which has been really nice. Yeah. Um, I was just saying to someone this morning that <laughs> I think those of us who aren't indie publishing can learn a lot about promotion from indie authors. So I keep my eyes open, and but we have some limitations because we can't play with price, and we can't. Um, right. Some of the sites require you to have, you know, five reviews or ten reviews, and so when your book's on the shelf for a month, sometimes it's really hard to do that, and so there's little things that you can't, but you know, there's a lot to be learned, and and that's the other thing about coming here, is that you can learn from each other, and it's a whole synergistic thing that happens at conference that's wild. My theory is that... You should automatically almost always beware of anyone who proclaims themselves a social media expert because I don't think most of the forms of social media have been around long enough that anyone can be an expert. Well, and it's going to change next month it's anyway. It's going to change like tomorrow. Yeah. Facebook will look like different. They're going to unveil like Facebook anaconda where your timeline's a big twirl or something. And even though I spend a lot of time on social media, I'm still learning as I go. And I screw up all the time. So I'm always watching what other people yeah. are doing. I, for example, I love doing Twitter giveaways because the person who wins is online at that moment you get their information yep. and you're done. But then the the, the, the the time of the giveaway is going to be a very short period of time. That's right. Whereas with Facebook, you can do something longer if you use an app that's from a third party. Yeah. And if you or do with good, good reads, good you can, reads you can do another one. You can leave it up there for like two months yeah. if you want. And, yeah. and there's a lot of interest because people are interested in trying yep. to score something that they, that they want to read, especially yep. if it's advanced. Yeah. And then if you do something on your on your website or on a group site, there's an even more long-term period that you can use yep. for a giveaway. So the, it's really interesting to see how different published authors market their books when, for example, with Sam Hain, you have a digital copy that's going to be on yep. sale, whereas with Harlequin, you have a digital and a print, but the print is a limited availability, so you have to yep. make as much noise as you can for two weeks, and then you're like, okay. But, but the nice thing is, because they do go digital, I still promo later, because of you still get the, the long tail of the ebook, right? Absolutely. So so I still, and honestly, <laughs> because post, because I'm international, yeah. really, when I look at it, so um, I'm happy when someone says, I would rather have the ebook. Because honestly, I will go buy them the Kindle version as a gift, totally. which is totally cheaper than putting something in the mail. Absolutely. So I'll give them the choice. If you want Kindle, you want print, yes. but I'm okay. I'll, I'll go to Amazon and buy it, or I'll go to Barnes and... Can you gift on Barnes and Noble? I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know either, because I've never had anyone ask for a Nook. But but I yeah, but I'll totally do that rather can. than the postage. I think you can, but I've never actually done it. Yeah. I, I gift on Amazon yeah. for winners, but I also gift through Kobo. <laughs> So, what about your international? Do you know anything about your international sales through Harlequin? Yeah, well, I, what I know is what I get on my statements. Right. And uh, I do check. I have the sites all bookmarked because I, I maintain the Harlequin Romance Author site. Yeah. So, we go through and we look every month and see who's out where. And it's kind of exciting because you see changes in the covers and who's where. And so, I have some markets that do really well. And then I have some that just won't touch cowboys, which is disappointing because it's good markets but France is good to me Spain's usually pretty good to me I've had some out in Russia um, Scandinavia is starting to come on board isn't it cool how small the world gets when it you start really seeing your is books in different countries? and I've had some in India 
And then I have one in Japan, which is that's so they cool. They come and it's like, wait a minute, I'm not reading left to right anymore. Right, right to left, <laughs> in circle. So, but yeah, it's really really cool. That's it's awesome. Really cool. And they send you a copy, well, the two copies of every translation. So, I end up donating most of them to libraries and stuff, and or I'll give them away. On I'll do a Twitter thing. If you want a Portuguese copy, copy of whatever. Tweet That's me right cool. now. First person to tweet me gets it. So what was the first romance you read that made you think, all right, this is this is what I want to read. This is what I want to write. Do you remember your first Yeah, romance? I do, actually. I have a theory that most people do. I'm glad yeah. you're supporting my yeah, theory. Yeah. No, I do. I do. Because I've been, I've been reading romance since I was about 15. And I got totally hooked on Liberal Spencer. And, I mean, you can't go wrong. Nope. And that woman, oh, my God, she could take something that would be, like, that will never sell. And turn it around and make it so sympathetic. Like, infidelity. I remember the first book I read of hers, I think, there was... But she can do it, and uh, she's amazing. So I got totally hooked on the genre. But when I was trying to figure out where my writing fit, mm-hmm. I read Christmas Eve Marriage by Jessica Hart. Who's, I love her. And I finished it, and I thought... This is what I'm meant to write. This is the line I'm meant to write, write for. And I started targeting that line. And honestly, within a year and a couple of manuscripts, it was a done deal. But, but that's very smart. You and that was a Rita book for her, too, yeah. I think. I think that one, won a, that one won a Rita that year. And that's so, really smart yeah. to sort of think about what is it that you want to write and who's publishing it and target that that one. The, 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 interesting about the, Harlequin, the thing I find interesting about the Harlequin lines is that you can almost b- drill down to the very specific elements of each line. Yeah. very quickly and identify what it is. So if you want to write that, you know exactly where to target yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's part of their reader promise, and then the writer clues into that. Because I had been submitting to them for a while, but it was here and there, and, and you know, I tried Desire, and I tried and, and trying to figure it all out, and then um, I think that was probably my sixth or seventh book. I really thought, you know what, no, it's going to be romance. And then... You know, they rejected a couple of more, but I was starting to get details and in the rejection letters, and then, boom, it happened. Yep. It happened. So what advice would you have for someone who's thinking about coming to RWA? Who should come to RWA? Who do you think would be good for? Um, anybody. Anybody? <laughs> anybody? Anybody. Well, anybody who is looking at... It doesn't matter if you're published or unpublished. You're going to learn a lot here, and you're going to make connections here. And, like, me walking through the lobby this year as opposed to Washington when I went for my first one, it's totally different. Yep. Totally different. And so it's just come. And I'm an introvert. It doesn't sound like it, but I am. No, I'm with you. I'm an introvert. Too. And and so it, it's a little bit scary and daunting. And sometimes you have to sort of go back to your room and decompress because it can be overwhelming. But it's so worth it. So worth it. So you find being here inspiring? Yeah. You know, my, one of my favorite things is going to the luncheons. And I know some people blow them off and they and they do other things because, you know, they want to have meetings with people or whatever. Or, you know, I'm just not going to do the lunch. It's conference food. But I always find listening to other people who have been really successful. and But they didn't, I mean, they weren't born that way. Yep. They had to get there somehow. And I find that really motivating and inspiring. And you look around and, you know, there's people who are unpublished and then people who are on the NYT list. Yep. And but we're all in the room together. Yes. And at and one point this was their first conference. That's right. And so I find I always go to those and I find them really really motivating. So So do you have like a mantra or a motto or something that you use to to um to motivate yourself? 
Yeah, well, my, my thing since before I was published is you got to be in it to win it. Yep. So if you don't play, there's no way you're going to win. And so if you don't submit, there's no way you're going to be published. If you don't take a risk, you know, then you just you just got to put yourself out there and, yep. and let magic happen. Because magic does happen. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, there's a sort of a, a, I find it very motivating and almost reassuring when I come to RWA or I go to RT that everyone I'm with understands what good book noise means. Everyone who's with me understands what it's like when you read a book that rocks your world completely and makes you want to grab the book and like hit people with it until they read it. They, <laughs> everyone understands yeah. what's that like and what, what that means and why yeah. it's important. And the thing I find inspiring about RWA is that everyone is here to make a good book happen. Whether yeah. you're writing it or publishing it or editing it or you want to learn how to write one because you've been reading them. Everyone here yeah. wants to make a good book happen. Yeah. And that's incredibly powerful. It is. You can't bottle that. No, you really can't. You're, and there's such a great energy. Mm-hmm. And there's such a great camaraderie mm-hmm. with people. Like, it's just, yeah. And plus, like I said, I get to see people I haven't seen all year. And I find especially with, um, I'm pretty tight with the Mills and Boone sort of, the, anyone who's edited out of the London office of yeah. Harlequin. And we do a lot of stuff together. And, and it's really just great to see all those guys again. And yeah. And now I'd like you to meet Taylor Reynolds. Introduce yourself to the lovely people at home. Hi, lovely people at home. I am Taylor Reynolds. I am an aspiring novelist, currently a corporate monkey as well. Well, not really, because I was laid off June 1st, so I will soon be a corporate monkey again. Um, I'm a crazy dog person. Yeah. And... I thought I saw it on, like, the FAQs on the site or something. Did you and Candy meet because you both raw fed your cats? Yep. Nice. It's true. Fantastic. Before I had children, I had a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Pet food. Right. Yes. Now there's companies that make the raw food for you. Yes. Which is much better, but this was, you know, 2003, 2004. We met online because I was posting cat food recipes because, mm-hmm. you know, it's the internet. That's what you do. It's cats. It's cats. It's, that's what it was built for. I was feeding my kittens at the time raw food. The mm-hmm. magic of raw food is that the litter box does not stink. It's magic. Yes. Magical. So she met because she had a kitten who had nonstop diarrhea and she was looking for new diet recipes and found my site and then ultimately we started a romance website. Awesome. So my next question. Taylor's going to interview me right now. Yes. In depth. You ready? Yeah. All right. When did you first realize that the website could be like feasible employment and what was your reaction? Like when you first went, oh shit, really? That was my reaction. Okay, Holy cool. shit. <laughs> I, was, I was a corporate monkey, mm-hmm. and I was getting really frustrated because I had just signed a contract to write the second book. Mm-hmm. And when I, wrote the, when I co-wrote the first book, my younger son was a baby, and I was like every weekend in my office, every weekend working because I had a full-time job, and I would write the book in the evenings and write on the weekends. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. I really don't want to do that again, but okay, that's how it worked. I'll do it again. And... I had a, stra- a strange conversation with my husband about how wouldn't it be awesome if the website could be my full-time job? And the thing about the web is that it is possible to build revenue. It is possible to set up an advertising mm-hmm. model or to, to find ways to build revenue. But the thing was I, we needed health insurance, and my corporate benefits were pretty friggin' sweet. Right. And my worry was that if I wasn't working we wouldn't be able to get on my husband's benefits. So the concern wasn't so much revenue as it was health insurance. Mm-hmm. And when I've spoken to people about blogging as a job, the first thing I say is the revenue part is a lot easier than making sure you have insurance. 
because if you don't have insurance, that is too dangerous. Right. Especially it, with a family. Especially with a family because the kids get ear infections and they need the pink stuff and the pink stuff can be expensive. Yes. And you need to have insurance to make sure you're safe because it's really unsafe to be uninsured in a lot of ways. Yes. So that was my big concern. Once we solved that concern, I started thinking I could do this and, and if I had the time, I can do I can do this project, I can do this thing, I can start the podcast, I can create all these different things that take more of my time. And when it became my job, I every morning, every morning I pinched myself like holy That's awesome. holy shit, this is my job. <laughs> Fuck, I'm not better not wake <laughs> up and find out that I'm back at that other job. And I have I have had very vivid dreams that I'm back at my job. And I'm like, wait, what happened to the website? No. Why am I here with a computer with a bad coffee? <laughs> Fuck! I, every, every day I pinch myself. And I'm very grateful and, 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 and amazed and Good. very, very thankful that I have that opportunity. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, so should I trade you a question? Sure. Go All right. So is this, is according to the ribbon, your first... RWA, and yes. you are a speaker. Yes. So why did you come to RWA this time, um, and what are you speaking about? We can go back a couple years. Uh-huh. In 2008, I think it was in D.C. Yes, And was. I was just moving from D.C. to New York. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, I moved uh, May 15th, uh-huh. and um, my fiancé at the time, we had his girls coming up in July and we were getting a new puppy and I was like, I, I can't take any more time off with all of this mm-hmm. going on also. So I can't do DC even though I was just there. Right. And then the next year was New York city and mm-hmm. we were still in New York and I was like, this is going to be awesome. I can do it. And I think that year he went to Afghanistan and his mid tour leave from Afghanistan was the During same exact RWA. time that RWA was. So again, I missed it. Um, and then last year we moved from New York to Missouri in July mm-hmm. and I had to change jobs. And again, I was like, I can't take the money to go to Nashville. I mean, Orlando, I mean, wherever, wherever it was, ended yes. up. Right. Um, and so this year I was like, all right, I'm going, this is it. I'm doing it. And I set up with five other, um, ladies from the Ron vet circle, which are romance writers who are also military veterans. Yep. And um, we're presenting on basically how to create a military character. The title, cool. the title of it is "Not Every Man in Uniform Is a Seal," because if you <laughs> if you look at romance like novels, Dukes in the Regency, everybody's a seal. You'd kind of think so. There are as many seals yeah. as there are serial killers and romantic suspense and yes. Dukes in the Regency. Exactly. There are a lot of seals. Exactly. Um, and even when they're not seals, they're still like special forces, and they're yeah. usually officers, and it's like. There are entire worlds in the military out there. And can you get some enlisted people in? Yeah. Sergeant is just as good as as captain, I promise. Yes. I say that because I'm enlisted and I'm kind of biased, but still. Where do you, who do you serve for? I was in the Army. You were in the Army? Yep, five and a half years. Are you active or are you out now? I'm out now. I got out in 2003. Were you deployed? Um, sort of. I, I was in originally from 96 to 2000, right. and I was an Arabic linguist. So, so you speak Arabic? I do. That's cool. How do you speak I Arabic? Di- they taught it to me. Or do you mean like say something in no, Arabic? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm bilingual in Spanish, but I learned mm-hmm. because I was an exchange student. How did you pick up the language? You just had intensive training in the Army? Yeah, I joined. I took Spanish and French both in high school. And right. I, I knew at that point that I loved languages. So when I joined the Army, they said, we can make you a linguist. Uh-huh. And there's a language school in Monterey, California. Oh, that's and just a terrible It was horrible. Place. That's horrible. I'm so 18 sorry. months of my life, basically in college, to learn Arabic. 
That just bites. I'm so sorry. I don't know how I survived it, honestly. I, I yeah. I know it was tough. It's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they sent they send you to school and they teach languages that I've never even heard of. Um, Urdu for you. Exactly. Yeah. Turbo Zerbo. Word. Yeah. That sounds like a, that um, sounds like a restaurant. It's it's a really fast Serbian course. <laughs> Turbo Zerbo. <laughs> yes. Fabulous. Um, but yeah, so they they teach in language, and then you go out and you do your job. And I got out in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, after nine eleven, I was like, I speak Arabic, and then That's Osama necessary. bin Laden's name kind of started popping up pretty quick, and I thought. I'm gonna get a phone call, and I got a letter. Yeah, I got a letter that said, "Come back to the army or go to jail." Good God! So I went back to the army. Yeah, um, that's like probably a good choice. Yes. Did so they send you back to Monterey, or was, they, if jail no. was in Monterey, would you have gone to jail? Yes. <laughs> Let's see. Well, actually, I was living in Tahoe at the time. Oh, jeez. So I know I've had a really rough life. Oh, it's been difficult. I don't know how I've survived this. I mean, it's. It's, it's hard to be me. Yeah, it, really it is. is. Yeah. Um, but during the first four years, my normal army experience, um, I went to Kuwait and Egypt. So, I mean, they were deployments, but it's not deployments like we think of like now. Active duty. Yeah, there was out. no real wartime. It was all for training. Right. Um, when, <laughs> when I got reactivated, instead of going to jail, um, we were all in Texas. We had a, a very shortened, condensed training mm-hmm. of, hey, welcome back to the Army. I know you haven't spoken Arabic in two years, but I still need you to pass this Arabic test. Right. So get to it. Right. And we're going to kind of reteach you your job really, really fast. Yeah. Um, so what's usually a, like a four-month course was condensed down to about a two-week refresher. Holy so that was fun. smokes. Yeah. My brain um, <laughs> Ours did. And it wasn't until we were almost done with that refresher course that we found out where we, there were like 13 of us that got recalled, we didn't find out to the very end where we were going to go. And some people went to the NSA at Fort Meade. Some people went to Charlottesville because um, mm-hmm. they had a big document exploitation um, unit down there. And two people went to Germany. Well, the two people going to Germany didn't go, to, didn't want to go. Right. And so a friend that I had been stationed with previously, we both got reactivated together. And she was like, I want to go to Germany. And I said, I want to go to Germany. And so and not only did I not go to jail when I joined the Army again, I went to Germany for a year and a half. Sweet. It was awesome. Completely awesome. So You um, have a lot of positive things to say about the Army. I do. I had a lot of fun. I liked it. I did. And it sounds like it was a really good choice for you. It was. Because sometimes the way that the Army markets itself is, we're, we're the best option for the desperate. That's true. And that was especially true, I think, starting in, like... October of 2001 through lately, mm-hmm. but now that everything's kind of winding down, I think it's going to be a lot harder to get back into the military because they're doing a drawdown. They don't need as many people. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to come back to, you have to know your job. You have to show responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have civilian education as well as your military mm-hmm. education. So it's going to be a lot more difficult. I have a friend who joined the Navy after doing ROTC mm-hmm. and he loves being in the Navy. He's like, I don't want to go back to the real world. I get my clothes from the Navy. Exactly. Food they give me Navy. food and a place to live. I get a place. And he, he's usually on aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, now I'm in Panama. And now I'm in Newport. Exactly. And, you know. It's awesome. Now, I have deployed as a civilian. I went to Iraq and Afghanistan both. Um, as a civilian contractor? As a civilian contractor. Now, my understanding, and you don't have to share this, my understanding <laughs> is there's a, that's a very lucrative thing to do. Yes. It, well, it was. Especially yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning, I was making nowhere near what other people have talked about, but at the very beginning, if you were going over as like a personal security detachment, mm-hmm. you were talking anywhere from two to 300000 a year. 
Good gravy. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of money. Um, I went as a site manager for the civilian linguists that the military hires because they don't have nearly enough linguists for all the work that they're doing. And that's everything from dealing with the contractors there in country who are, you know, working in the chow hall to interrogations. Right. They have to have people who really speak good Arabic for all of that stuff. And Arabic, if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, <clears throat> mm-hmm. is a very um, diverse language. The way that two different groups of people mm-hmm. speak Arabic is can be, can be completely distinct. Like, for example, right. I speak Spanish. I learned Spanish in Spain. Mm-hmm. If I so try, you speak crazy Spanish. I speak crazy Spanish with the list. Yes. And if I <laughs> and I and I've said this to people, I have no problem understanding people from Spain. I have no problem with southern Spain where the accent is really thick. Cuba, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Colombia is hard. Argentina is nearly impossible right. for me because the way that they speak it, it's the, it's almost like they're singing. It, the, the the way that they inflect the words and the way that the words sound musically is so distracting. I can't understand it, and I know the words. I, these are yeah. words I know, and and like I joke, I speak bar Spanish and school Spanish, and restaurant <laughs> Spanish, and transportation Spanish. I can give you directions. I can translate in the airport. I can do all of these things. But if it's somebody from Argentina, I'm like, you need to speak really slowly. Like I am dumb. And then when I speak, I'm very quick and I have the accent. Mm-hmm. So they respond with equal fluency. I'm like, no, 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 slow right. down. I. It's, it's very diverse and unique culture to culture. And I know that's true of Arabic, too. Arabic's right? worse. Because then you have... Because the different dialects will have completely different words. Right. They'll have completely different verbs. They make up their own shit. <laughs> so so when, you, when you learn Arabic, you learn very distinctive pieces of Arabic. You, when you learn Arabic, most people learn modern standard Arabic. That's what you're going to hear on the news. And the news is the same across mm-hmm. across the entire you know Arab world. Mm-hmm. So I could watch the news in Iraq, yeah. and if I still spoke modern standard Arabic, I would understand just like if I watched the news in Morocco. If I tried to talk to a Moroccan person, forget it. I almost wouldn't know that it was Arabic. It's so bad. That's cool. Yeah, and another good thing is if you learn Egyptian Arabic, most of the movies are filmed in Egypt. That's kind of their Hollywood. And so everybody understands Egyptian. Everybody, for the most part, can speak Egyptian. Because it's the predominant entertainment language. Right. So how are you going to talk about that in your session today? Or today? Um, Tomorrow? I don't think the language will come into it Mm -hmm. that much. Most of what we want to do is just talk about the military in general. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a really basic thing of here are some general ages and some general ranks that go along with it. Mm -hmm. Here are some of the other jobs that you don't hear about so much Mm -hmm. that's not special forces, it's not a pilot. You know, we have cooks, we have administrative personnel and finance and Mm -hmm. logistics and, and all of that. Um, I took the um, the armed services vocational aptitude test in high mm-hmm. school because it got me out of three classes I didn't like. There you go, perfect. And I was uh, I was at that point fluent in Spanish because I already been an exchange student. The Coast Guard wanted me bad. Mm-hmm. They wanted me bad, and they were like, "We're going to pay you six hundred dollars a month." And I was Ooh. like, <gasps> "I'm going to be rich." So much money at high school, six hundred dollars <laughs> a know. month. Oh my god! <laughs> and and I would have gone to basic training in Cape May, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what they wanted me for, because the things that I excelled in were language mm-hmm. and uh, administrative organization, yep. I would have been like the biggest badass Coast Guard secretary. Exactly. And You have your little hat. Yep. Sit on a boat. That's right. It's cooler than that. That's well, right. other than running a blog. Other still. than running a blog. Right. And, you know, getting $600 a month in the right. Coast Guard. Exactly. Filthy rich. 
Yes. But it, those jobs are important. Mm -hmm. And those and those people are also dedicating their time and their energy just right. the same as, you know, Navy SEALs who jump out of planes and swim on the ocean. And those people are deploying and those people are getting shot up and blown up and, yep. and coming is, back with... risks are the same. Exactly. Even if they're sitting at a desk managing paper, that's Because yep. you still have incoming mortar fire. Yes. It's also hot and there's no so, air conditioning. Yes. And you're miserable. That part sucks. And in Afghanistan, it gets really super cold, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just basically... There's more a than little seals. bit more, exactly. Yes. It doesn't have to be special operations. There are other people. They're just normal people. And there's the plenty of conflict to write about those oh, people. Oh, yeah. Cool. Definitely. All right. So All you right. have a question for me? Barbecue or ranch? Barbecue. All right. I like that. But is it dry barbecue or wet barbecue? No, no, no. Just oh. for like dipping French fries. Dipping French fries? Yeah. Barbecue. Okay, dry or wet? Uh, wet. Nice. Not okay. a fan of the dry rub. Thank you. Thank uh, you. <laughs> the tropes that you absolutely hate. Oh, that's a long list. The top two. Right. <laughs> Infidelity, not my thing. Okay. I know that there are writers who can pull it off and make it incredibly sympathetic. Um, doesn't work for me. I don't know that I've ever read any. Like in a in a normal, you know, well, this is a romance novel. The, I think the biggest name who did infertility or infertility in, in infidelity romance was Laverell Spencer. Okay. And it's happened in some romances. Um, one of the things I, I I've been thinking a lot about is the idea that romance emphasizes eternal monogamy. That once you mm -hmm. once the hero and the heroine are matched they almost stop seeing other human beings as attractive. Everyone else becomes a drone. It's only that other person. That's not actually true. That's not how humans work. I'm married. But it's a book. I've been, you know, I've been married for 12 years. I'm not dead. I can still appreciate a hot person. I right. can still be like, whoa, that guy's fine. I mean, but I am choosing every day to be with my right. husband. And I think that that is more realistic than the idea that there's this sort of magical monogamy that in a room full of bikini supermodels, the hero's going to see the heroine and no one else will measure up to her. No one else will measure up up to her in terms of specific qualities, but it's not as if he's become blind. Right. And that's especially enforced on heroines. They're not supposed to notice any other men. All the other men become like brothers and cousins. That's not particularly true. There are still hot dudes out there. I know, and we are allowed <laughs> to appreciate that they're hot. I mean, they, wow, that's okay. It, it works both ways. So... I think about that a lot in terms of how romance enforces that sort of selective monogamy. That mm -hmm. is it. You only got one person. And I don't think it's true that you only get one person. I think people can love many people in their lives, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem I have with infidelity plots is that you've made a commitment to someone, and you're going back on that commitment right. and, and harming you, that person. And even if it's like, oh, she knows all about it, and it's okay. No, dude. It's not okay. So that's cool. not something that works for me as a reader because I, I, even as I struggle with the idea of that enforced, um, selective, only this person for you, I also have a problem with the idea that we're going to make sympathy out of someone going right. back on their commitment to someone else. You mm -hmm. can break up first. You yeah. cannot be an asshole about it. Yeah, you can keep it in your pants until you've, um, yeah. you've manned up and owned that you want to do something else now. Come right. On. See, other tropes that don't work for me. Not a particular fan of secret babies. Babies are very hard to hide. They're they loud are. and messy. And they are. I mean, my first RWA <laughs> in Dallas was in 2007, and I gave birth six weeks later. I oh, was wow. as big as a planet. I was huge. So this is waddling giant woman. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. And yeah, it's really hard to hide pregnancy. But it's not so much a trope. The one thing that absolutely yanks me out of the story immediately 
is fake dialogue. Things that people don't really say. Mm-hmm. Dialogue that is only for plot points. Dialogue that is making noise that doesn't, that doesn't sound like a human being. Whenever I encounter that in any genre, I'm done. That's it. Forget it. I want to read about people who sound and act and seem like yeah. real humans. And that's the point of being a writer. That's right. Yeah. Be realistic. I hate billionaires. I'm really sick of billionaires. Because it's just so completely unrealistic. <laughs> and I cannot suspend disbelief for all the billionaires, seals, dukes, and what was the other one? Serial killers. And serial killers. Yep. Yeah. That's what we need to write. Yeah. Billionaire, seal, duke, serial killer. <laughs> yes. Make us billions, perfect. zillion dollars. Well, she can be a female seal. Mm. Who goes back in time chasing a serial killer who goes after the billionaire duke. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. There you go. Copyrighted. Yeah, that belongs to us now. We should be stealing our ideas. Exactly. (laughs) All right, so dream vacation. Time and money are no object. What do you want to do and where are you going? Around the world. Nice. On a boat? Plane and boat. Okay. Helicopter? Helicopters are cool. Sure, why not? You know, boat, helicopter, canoe, surfboard, yacht. With a helicopter? Totally doable. Dingy. Yeah. But I want to go around the world and see all the different places that I have looked at online and never been. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, that's my... I think that's mine, too, because I would take, like, a year and a billion dollars. And go explore. Yeah. Yes. The one thing I've noticed, the more I spend time online, the smaller the world gets. Mm-hmm. Like, when something happens in a foreign country, now more often than not, I know someone who lives there. I've corresponded with someone who lives there. So now know people in different places around the world that the world seems much, much smaller Isn't that to awesome? me. It's really cool. It's really, really amazing to me that one thing that I think happens, the more time you spend online... The more you understand how what you do affects other people mm-hmm. in different countries, especially from the agree. United States, because we're very powerful, we're very loud, we make a lot of the world's entertainment, <laughs> we make a lot of money, yep. and we're very, very, very loud. And we don't listen very well, in my opinion. We don't. And I love learning from other people who are in different countries, how they do things. I think it's fascinating just to listen to talk, people talk about how and where they buy books. Mm-hmm. You know, the the way, different perspectives. Exactly. Yeah. Where do you buy your books? Where do you go shopping? What are you reading? What do you What do you get? Do you only get one thing? Do you get like one tons of things? If you want romance, do you have to order it? What is that like? So just even having a genre in common means that I learn from other people around the world every day. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. What are some of the things that you are hoping to do at this this year's RWA, what are some of the things that you are really wanting to do? The people you want to meet, sessions you want to go to, things you want to do. What are some of the things that you're like, all right, this is my must-do list for RWA? I took about two days, and I printed off all of the workshops that were being held. Mm-hmm. And then I went through, and I highlighted all the ones I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And then I went back, and I prioritized. And I tried to figure out, okay, which Clearly ones... Clearly, you've been in the Army. Clearly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like notes. <laughs> and lists. Um, but I wanted to make sure that if there are two workshops that are really important, is at least one of them recorded? So I can go to one and buy the recording for the other. Mm-hmm. If not, which one is going to be best for my career? Not necessarily the most interesting. Mm-hmm. And then at what point can I say, but I really want to go to the Nora Roberts chat. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to the Nora Roberts chat. It's really kind of cool. And she'll still answer. She just chills and answer the questions. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. Um, I mean, my biggest goal for this was to get out to network, to really motivate myself to finish and to move forward in my writing, Mm -hmm. to not only learn more about the craft, but to be able to network more. Because right now, the only group I'm really a part of is the ROM vets, the, Mm -hmm. the military veterans. 
And they're awesome. We have people in there like Lindsay McKenna and Merlene Lovelace who have been doing this for so long and are fantastic writers. And then tons of other ladies that... Larissa Ione. Is Larissa is part of it. Cast was um, in that group too. Mm-hmm. She was Air Force, I think. Um, Regina Brewer uh-huh. is one of them. Jerry Croto, she has a book out now, a Super Romance with Harlequin. Um, we have tons of authors. And so they're fabulous for support and questions and, you know, just to chat with. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that I can meet new people, that my network can grow, that I can just soak it all in mm-hmm. and learn as much as I can. And then I think next year when I come, because I will, <laughs> um, I think I'll have more definite goals at that point mm-hmm. of, you know, maybe I want to pitch or maybe I want to, you know, work on something specific in my craft, whether it's motivation or plotting or whatever. But mm-hmm. for this time, it's just dive into the pool of Kool-Aid and drink it all up. And that's all for this edition of the podcasting from RWA. The music that you're listening to is by Caravan Palace, and it's called Bambus. I'll have all the information on the entry of where you can purchase this album or other albums from this group. And the music was provided by Sassy Outwater. If you'd like to get in touch with us with suggestions for a future podcast, you can contact us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message at 201-371-DBSA. Please don't forget to leave your name where you're calling from and note that that's a U.S. number. So if you're calling from another country and I really hope it's Greenland, you won't run up too high of a phone bill. Although, you know, we're fun to talk to. You can leave us a nice long message if you'd like. I understand that cell phone service in other countries is often way cheaper than cell phone service in the United States. Future podcasts will include another recording I did at RWA, responding to voicemail and email to the podcast inbox with Jane, and general mayhem. I am also working on transcripts so that if you would like a written copy of what we say on the podcast, I'm working on making that happen. Future podcasts should come with a podcast transcript, provided that the service that I'm trying out works. I hope it does. Fingers are crossed. And finally, wherever you are, I wish you the very best of reading. Reading.